It's Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As Andrew has explained, we're going to start this morning a new series on uh, the, Holy, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this will be at these first uh, Sundays, 11.15 service in each month. The series is going to focus on Acts, which is sometimes called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and on the Pauline epistles. There is, of course, much more in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit, particularly in John's Gospel and in the Johannine epistles. So, but we can't cover everything. So we're going to focus on uh, the Acts and the Pauline epistles. So before we start, let's pray. Our Father God, as we begin this series on the person and work of your Holy Spirit, We pray that you will teach us and that our lives will be changed. Amen. We will, of course, start this morning uh, following our reading with the events of the day of Pentecost. Now, I have to say that inaugural events are not always inspiring. I'm thinking of an opening of a new building or the launching of a new program. Usually they're characterized by worthy but decidedly dull speeches, thanking everyone in sight, earnest descriptions of the goods that the building or the program will generate, and cheerful but platitudinous good wishes for its future, usually accompanied by canapes and white wine, or if you're lucky, champagne. 
but just occasionally, just occasionally, an inaugural event manages to capture the imagination and to inspire. And I'm thinking, of course, of Danny Coyle's opening ceremony for the 2012 Olympics, culminating in that fantastic lighting of the cauldron. Now, Pentecost has been described by John Stott as the inauguration of the new era of the Spirit, or the birthday of the church. And it was just as dramatic as the Olympic opening ceremony, and with extraordinary consequences, so much that we still remember it nearly 2,000 years later. So what happened on the day of Pentecost? Well, it's an unfolding drama. There's a dynamic sequence of events. It begins, in verse 2, in a house. But it ends with a huge crowd of around 2,000, when a huge crowd of around 3,000 respond to Peter's message in verse 41 of chapter 2. And in Jerusalem, only the temple would have been big enough to accommodate such a large crowd. Luke does not tell us how they got from one to the other. And he starts with this phrase, when the day of Pentecost came. When the day of Pentecost came. Why this, this detail? I think it's important just to remember that the Feast of Pentecost was basically a harvest festival. But it had a much deeper significance in the traditions of Judaism. It was 50 days after, and that's what Pentecost means, 50 days, after the Passover and the Exodus. And it was thought to be the date of the giving of the Old Testament law to Moses at Mount Sinai. The inauguration of the covenant between Yahweh and his people in the Old Testament. And it was accompanied, as you no doubt will recall, by lightning, smoke, thunder, earth tremors, and loud noises, all physical signs of God's power and presence. Now, the day of Pentecost was characterized by similar phenomena, certainly the fire and the loud noise that summoned the crowd. There was also a violent wind, and recall that in the Old Testament, wind is associated with the work of the Spirit of God. It's a sign of the breath of God bringing new life. For example, in Ezekiel 27, his famous vision of the valley of the dry bones, where God's breath brings renewal to the spiritually dead house of Israel. So why is the day of Pentecost so important? Because it's the day that marks a new beginning in God's relationship with humankind. It's a new covenant and a renewed people And it's 50 days after the Passover, Jesus' death on the cross. So you begin to pick up the significance of what's going on here. Now, the main focus of Luke's account is the phenomenon of speaking in other languages. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It seems probable that the they of verse 1 refers to the apostles. Uh, They were referenced in the choice of Matthias 
to replace Judas at the end of chapter 1. And they're also identified in verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11. So the question is, well, what languages did they speak? Now, some commentaries on this passage point out that the apostles, even uneducated Galileans, would have spoken Greek and Aramaic, which would have been the lingua franca of the day, in which case there was nothing particularly out of the ordinary in the apostles addressing the crowd. But Luke's account rules that out. Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears in our native language? Native language implies a local language, not a lingua franca. So what is the significance of Luke's account? First, all the nations of the world are present in verses 9 to 11, that list of places and names. And Luke's list here has echoes of the table of the nations in Genesis 10, the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All nations are here represented The Lord's new covenant with humankind is for every nation and not restricted in any way to particular ethnic or national group. And second, Pentecost is a dramatic reversal of Babel, Genesis 11. A Babel, you'll recall, human languages and communications are confused and the nations are scattered. At Pentecost... Language barriers are supernaturally overcome and the nations are gathered together in Christ. So what are we to learn from all this? First, was the day of Pentecost a one-off or should we expect it to be repeated? Without doubt, Luke saw this as an inauguration event the birthday of the church, a new covenant with signs of God's power, a new international community reversing the curse of Babel. There are no repeat events on this scale anywhere else in the New Testament. To be sure, Luke records the Spirit coming on new Christians, Cornelius and his family in Acts 10, and a group of believers in Ephesus in Acts 19 but it's always in a domestic context rather than a public context. And there's no need for other languages to communicate. Now, in the subsequent history of the church, there have, of course, been quite extraordinary outpourings of the Spirit associated with the preaching of the gospel. I think of the preaching of John Wesley and George Whitfield in the 18th century in England. I think of the East Africa revival. I think of the Welsh revival. But in no case did they, as far as I know, involve different languages. Now, there are reports of Christians speaking in other specific languages now, but not at great public events. So my judgment, and I stand to be corrected, is that Pentecost was a unique event, the inauguration of the church, and we should not be looking for repeats. 
Where does this leave us then with regard to the communication of the gospel in our generation? There is a striking dissimilarity between Christianity and the other Abrahamic faiths, modern Judaism and Islam. A devout Jew will spend time and considerable effort to acquire a knowledge of biblical Hebrew. Muslims will send young boys to madrasas to learn to read and to memorize the Quran in classical Arabic. But Pentecost tells us that the Spirit of God speaks to human beings in their own native language. Why? Because language is relational. If you've lived and worked overseas, you will know that if you don't speak the language, it is very unlikely that you'll be able to understand the culture or communicate thoughts and emotions effectively. And there's little chance you will be able to form deep relationships. Our Father God is not like the God of, secular Judea, of modern Judaism or Islam who insists that you interact with him in a formal language. No, he speaks to us in our language so that we can have a relationship with him. It has been a great achievement of the Protestant churches since the Reformation, and even more so in the great missionary movements of the 19th and 20th century, the work of translation of the Bible into hundreds of languages worldwide. We take it for granted that we can read the Bible in English. It is a great privilege, but it's one that we should also see as the experience of our brothers and sisters in Christ worldwide. For the past 25 years, this church has supported the work of Tim Curtis in the Paraguayan Chaco. Translating the whole Bible into the indigenous Enthlet language, a work that should come to completion in the next two years. He wrote recently, the end is in sight. I believe the Holy Spirit has been using Tim to speak to the Enthlet Church in their own language. And we should honor Tim for his skill and commitment and count it a privilege that we've been able to support him. To sum up, Pentecost is the inauguration of the church. It shows God's people transcending racial, national, linguistic, and all the other barriers that divide humankind. But it's also a reminder that in Jesus Christ, and by the enabling power of the Spirit, God longs to enter into relationship with each one of us. He speaks our language to our hearts. Let us respond in thanksgiving and love.
Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit to your people. We thank you that he speaks our language to our hearts, that we can read your word, pray, worship, and sing in our own language. We pray for his power in our lives to transform us, to live as your people in our daily lives. In his name, amen.